Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Y'all doing good this morning? It's been an been a awesome year, hasn't it? How many people in the room got phys- has been physically healed by the Lord, period, in all your life? You've had a physical healing from God. Would you raise your hand? Would you stand up? Just stand up. If you had a physical, with me, stand up if you've had a physical healing from the Lord. The, look around. Let's give the Lord a shout for that. Now, how many have gotten one this year? How many have gotten a physical healing this year? Would you stay standing? But, 216, yeah, okay, not today. Not today. Last year, cool. Fantastic. Let's give the Lord a hand for that. How many, how many view themselves, and we're going to get, this is a stand-up time. This is, going, this is a fun time. How many view themselves uh, differently now as a child of God than they did at the beginning of the year, or see God's uh, relationship, see their relationship with God differently than they did at the first of the year. If that's you, would you stand up? Praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah. That is fantastic. That's fantastic. How many would say, some of you don't even need to sit down, do you? How many would say, my marriage is finally getting healed in the name of Jesus? How many would say, say that? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Two thousand seventeen is going to be better. Yeah, man. It's just going to be better. It's going to be off the chain. There's great anticipation about what the Lord's not only going to do here, but He's going to do in the church as we open up. How many of you know? I believe probably more than I ever have in all my life and in my ministry that or in the since I've been in ministry uh, full time. Uh, get, how about this? Since I've been getting paid to do ministry, that's a better <laughs> thing. How about that? Because we're all in ministry, right? Yeah. But <clears throat> have an expectation of the miraculous and the importance of miracles as we go forward for the world to see. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just like every other God that's proclaimed there's an absence of miracles. What makes Jesus different than any other thing? I think the miraculous is huge, and, and I think it's incredibly important. Um, so with that in mind, we're going to talk today about the Beatitudes that are listed in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. If you've got your Bibles, open up your Bibles, and we're going to read that and the reason I want to read that this morning is it's because basically this is Jesus' first sermon. Uh, and and uh, in his first sermon, he gives us the full gospel. The whole gospel is listed here in Jesus' sermon. And he, he basically says what, uh, uh, what was the guy's name that wrote Joy to the World? What was his name, baby? Isaac Watts. I said Sir Isaac Newton in the first service. Isaac Watts. <laughs> Isaac Watts died in 1745, but he got it. He said that Jesus came, joy to the world, Jesus came 
to bless everything that the curse has affected, to bring blessing to everything the curse has affected. I think that is so huge. It's so huge. Every area in my life, every area in your life that's been affected by the curse, Jesus came to bring a blessing to where that curse has taken effect. That does bring joy to the world, doesn't it? It brings joy to me. So when we read Matthew, when we read Jesus' first sermon, he gives us, he gives us the blessing. He gives us the beatitudes. And he says blessed. He starts every verse with blessed. And so he's saying this. I came to bring blessing everywhere the curse has affected, so blessed, and then he goes on and begins to say, he gives you the posture of a believer, the posture a believer needs to be in to, to open up blessing. And so uh, I'm excited about learning that position. Uh, what Jesus is saying to me this year is put yourself in that position, Pastor. The more you the more you respond like I'm teaching here, the more you're going to see heaven open up. The more of the miraculous you're going to see throughout your year. But here's the deal. When we begin to examine this, we begin to see value system. And Christianity is made up, and we think about Christianity oftentimes, as having a value system, a set of values. Would you agree with me? It's a set of values. But here's a problem. The problem is is when we, we have a set of values, but our behavior does not exemplify the values we say we believe in. And oftentimes in the world, that causes issues because they say, you know, he talks a good game, but he, but he, or he or she talks a good game, but they really don't act much like that. Or they don't think much of Christians because of the way we behave based on what we say, right? And so... Uh, what happens oftentimes is they feel like it's either comes across as religious or very judgmental when we impose our values. But here's what we need to understand. As we look at the Beatitudes, we've got to come to the conclusion that if it isn't for the miraculous power of God, it is impossible for us to even keep the Beatitudes. So it's just as much as a miracle as if somebody would receive sight or somebody would stand up out of a wheelchair or whatever it might be. For me to respond the way that Jesus requires me to respond takes a miracle. Now here's the problem. Us Christians oftentimes set that value system on unbelievers when they don't have any ability or any power to accomplish it at all. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we couldn't accomplish it ourselves as believers. Is that not right? Amen. And so God has given us this standard not to, just, not to just establish a value system for you, although we have to have that value system before we can model our behavior after that value system. But he doesn't want us proclaiming the value system. He wants us living, behaving the value system. Right? So let's look at what Jesus said in his first sermon. We're going to examine it. We're going to look at it. And uh, we're going to talk about each one. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated with his disciples, they came up to him. 
And then he opened his mouth and he, he taught them. And this is what he said. He said, the curse really messed you up, but I came to bless you. <laughs> I came to bring blessing everywhere the curse has messed you up. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn or grieve, for they shall be comforted. Notice when he says, blessed are these people, he says, if you, if you do this, then I'll do this. You can see that if you'll position yourself, if you'll behave this way, then, then you open up something supernatural into your own life. So those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, take into account that the word blessed means supremely happy and exceedingly unavailable happiness outside the presence of God. Extremely, exceedingly happy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then that's two places that the kingdom of heaven comes out. Blessed, in verse 11, are those, are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Luke chapter 6, when it begins to describe this whole beatitude situation, it says, leap for joy when you're persecuted, reviled, and hated for my sake. So let's examine each one of them. Uh, first of all, we're going we, to establish the fact that a Christian life is often identified with that system of values that Jesus kind of just began to, to give us, but it's really encompassed more than just the value system. It, uh, if we focus on just the value system aspect, then it comes across as judgmental and religious. So we need to really know that, that behavior is what really matters most. So our values are always expressed in our actions. If you tell me what you value, you should be able to see that in how you behave. Your values should be expressed in your behavior. Or you've got, you've got something, you don't have sober judgment. In other words, you're saying one thing and you're doing something totally different. Uh, we should uh, put that value system into action. What is truly important is the way our values find expression through our everyday lives. Now, as Christians, as believers, and what I'm looking for in my life in 2017 is that I become more, uh, more effective at expressing my value system in my everyday life. That's how I think the, the, uh, the manifestation of the power of God is even going to be greater this year 
is because that power is going to transform me in a way that my behavior is going to be modified and it's going to look like the Father. For me personally, as a person, as a pastor, as a member of this church, as, as a member of the body of Christ, the biggest thing that I want to do this year is make sure that I am becoming something that somebody wants to be a part of. And I don't want that to be some kind of show. I don't want it to be the Alabama theater in Myrtle Beach. You know, I don't want us to get so good at doing church that that's what attracts people. Although I want excellence. I want us. But what really matters to me is to have an authentic relationship with God where I become a duplicate of the Father's character and nature that I have the integrity of God himself, that, that because God lives in me, I'm being transformed. And if I don't get it right real, right off the bat, then real quickly I'll repent and begin to get lined up with God's way and God's kingdom. That, that's what I want to do in 2017. That's what I want to be about. That's what Jesus says. Jesus said, this is the gospel. Live the gospel. Too many people <laughs> are talking one thing and doing another. Matter of fact, when I was looking at this, this is what I was thinking. When I was looking at these Beatitudes, this would be a good way to filter whether you ought to put something on Facebook or not. <laughs> if it can't go into this right here, you probably shouldn't put it up. So let's look at them. You ready? The first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And it comes with this promise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit, who, who is that? They are the people who recognize that they need the Lord. They're people who recognize that they can't be everything that God intends them to be separated from Him. In other words, they need the Lord every day. They need the Lord every moment of every day. They need to be filled with His Spirit so that they can depend on Him to lead them and guide them. That is who is poor in spirit. They depend on the Lord, and they know their need for the Lord. They realize that they fall short of what is possible if they'll walk in God's power. So God says this. He says, those who recognize that they need me, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What does that mean? It means when we really, truly, in our hearts, are open and dependent on God, he's saying, there's an open heaven on you. There's an open heaven. is opened up. The, the, the possibilities are endless on your behalf if you're poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Wow. What a promise. What a promise. But there's a whole other set of value system that's countercultural to what Jesus says there. Jesus says, be poor in spirit. But our culture says, blessed are those who are self-confident, competent, and self-reliant. And so there's this, there's this conflict in every aspect of media and everything that's going on that is contrary to the ways of the world. So if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be poor in spirit, then we're going to have to go about doing things differently than the world thinks. Right off the bat, we see how much different that is than the world. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, 
It says this, For all those things my hands have made, my hand has made, and all those things exist. Talking about his, his, his incredible creation. All those things exist because of my hand, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. The eyes of the Lord, the hand of God, are going to be on the ones who have a contract spirit, who are poor in spirit, and who fear and who really want to accomplish the word of the Lord. And so that's what it means to be poor in spirit. That's an attribute that is going to take the power of God to, to reveal to us so that we can line up. That would be an attribute that I would want to say about myself. By the end of 2017, I have grown in my ability to walk poor of spirit. Number two, he says, blessed, extremely happy are those that mourn. Why? Because they'll be comforted. Well, what does that mean? What does mourn mean? Those who grieve at their own condition and at the condition of others. Do you remember when Jesus, he walks, into, uh, he walks into Bethany where his buddy Lazarus has died and he sees the condition of the people. Now, death only comes about because of the curse, right? So what the, what the curse has done, Jesus walks in and sees how the curse has affected all his buddies and all of Lazarus' buddies, and he says he wept at their condition. He mourned at the condition of the people that he saw. And he says about us, if we'll, if we'll, if we'll make sure that we have that mourning, if, if what we always thought would make us happy, if we lose it or whatever it might be, if there's a relationship or whatever it might be, if we're mourning, he says, if we'll look to him, we'll be comforted. We're going to be comforted. Who, those who grieve and travail and intercede, when they see people not receiving, receiving the fullness of the kingdom, that, that's mourning. You mourn when you see somebody in a condition where they're not, they're not living a life where everything that's available to them is, is, is being received because of their condition. And you mourn. And he says about that, that we're going to be comforted. The, co the countercultural thing to, to, to carry in that kind of, of attitude is, uh, is this. It says that it teaches us to be pleasure-seeking. It teaches us to, be, uh, to have hedonistic ideas that what really matters is whether... I'm happy. Whatever makes you happy, you do that. The culture just constantly bombards us with the idea that pleasure and happiness are the primary aim and the most important thing in life. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, blessed, happy, extremely happy are those who mourn at the, their condition and the condition of of those around them. In uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2 and 3, Jesus proclaims that he came, he proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord and that he came 
for this particular reason. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. Why did Jesus come? To comfort us who mourn in the church. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That they may be glorified. Why? Because we know the truth. We're, 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 being, you know, we're, we're being transformed and we're never going to die. That it's all, all about kingdom. And even what Satan uses to defeat us or to discourage us, God then takes that and turns it and uses it for good. We, we understand who he is and God brings that, turns that around that, that morning and turns it into gladness and joy because he comes to bless where the curse has affected something. He turns it. If we'll mourn and pursue the Lord. The next one is meekness. He says, happy, extremely happy are the meek. And they shall inherit the land. What does meek mean? Meek means those who walk humbly. Those who value others more than they value themselves. Now as we listen to this, Jesus is saying, listen, the curse has you got messed up. But if you want to get unmessed up, if you want to receive the blessing, you've got to start responding this way. And the only way you can is the power and the grace of God. This needs to be your posture to the world. This is how you need to respond to things out there. You say, man, this seems rough. Yeah, it's about to get rougher. But meekness is not, meekness is not, uh, it's not depression, it's not hopelessness, it's not discouragement. Meekness is power under control. Meekness means that you know that Jesus, Jesus was meek when he was on the cross and he could have called down 10,000 legions of angels to rescue him, but he was meek and he carried out his mission. You know, meekness is is recognizing the fact that you need to walk in humility and you need to think more about others than yourself. Cultural uh, counterpart for that says you, you need to be proud, you need to be powerful, and you need, need to seek importance. You know, every midlife crisis we see is men trying to somehow feel like that they're important. And the only way that you get there is not an understanding who you are in Christ. Not knowing and understanding your sonship. Who Jesus made you to be and been about his mission. But he says about the meek that they shall inherit the land. That, that what there's going to be blessing. That they're going to be blessed and live in peace. Psalm 37 11 says this. The meek shall inherit the earth. Again, Jesus is kind of saying the same thing. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of of peace. You want peace? In 2017? Be meek. Be meek. Isaiah 29, 19 says, the humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord. Humility. You know, <laughs> the Bible never, ever, ever says God will humble you. 
Never ask the Lord to humble you. Never pray that prayer because this is what God says. Humble yourself and I will exalt you. You humble yourself and let him exalt you. He raises you up. He does the work. And so meekness is humility allowing the power of God to be released so that you inherit everything God wants you to inherit. Number four, he says, blessed and extremely happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So what does hunger and thirst for righteousness mean? It means to pursue right thinking and right living. Those that hunger for right thinking and right living. Now let me just say, without condemnation, I just want to point this out to you. If you're not in the Word, if you're not reading Scripture, not on Sunday, I'm glad you're here. Praise the Lord you're here. But you've got to have a thirst and a hunger for the Word. You need to be in it during the week. You need to, you need to get it in your heart. You need to understand how to think. That all needs to be a part of what you're learning. That's a hunger and a thirsting. Coming to church once or twice a week is not hunger and thirsting. And it says that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we shall be filled. If we pursue right thinking, if we pursue right living, we'll be filled. A person who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they, righteousness, they want to know God and His way so that they can practice the same way of living. That's what it means to be hungry and thirsty. You know, when we're thirsty, we go get water. When we're hungry, we feed ourselves. We're going to do that here in just a minute. We're going to go get lunch, right? We had some pretty good holiday food. We know how to eat and, and what uh, some of us really know how to eat. But what he's saying is that if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you're going to be eating the Word of God, and you're going to be filled. Now, what's really interesting to me, when you really start thinking about it, you know, we read the Bible, and we read it as if it is, is set apart from us oftentimes. And it's written so that you can get the same result as they got. You know, it's not written so that we can read it and go, wow, that's pretty cool. Wow, cool. Man, that was neat. I sure wish I could have been there. It was written so you can be there. So listen, what happened? Jesus is, not, is, uh, is already died and he's raised from there. And he says, go to Jerusalem and wait there for the promise. And they went there and they waited about eight days. Before, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And because they hungered and thirsted for righteousness, they set everything about what they were doing. They didn't do anything else except go sit in that room and wait for the Lord to pour out what was promised. And it says about them that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says this, if you'll hunger and you'll thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled with the fullness of God. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that important for us as believers in 2017? Don't we need that? Yes? Are, are, are we going to pursue that? I hope so. This is the only way our nation is going to be saved. See, these aren't, these aren't suggestions by Jesus. This is saying this is how a believer is supposed to live. Now, the next one's even get a little more challenging. 
He says, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's look at John 4 and 14 before we go to mercy. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He, he, he has a promise of you that if you'll thirst for the word and you'll be filled, that you'll be filled to such a capacity that you're going to pour out on everything that you see. That's the promise of God for us in 2017. I want to see the power and the miraculous work of God in this manner in 2017. But then, for me, it gets to, and it might be different for you, but I had so many people come up to me after the first service and this was the one. Blessed, happy, extremely happy are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Well, what's merciful? Well, they, considers, they consider others' situation without any assumption. A person who is merciful, it doesn't matter so much how that person who's struggling got where they are. It's more about how we can help them get out of a deprived state into the abundance of the Father. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You're even setting a standard for that. How many of us have said, well, that's what they got what they deserved? Or, the, you know, we talk about we're reaping what we sow and we see somebody in a bad situation or a hard time and we know they made choices to get there and, and we don't have mercy on them because we know that we, we've come to assume something about them. And we have these attitudes, and God's not blessing that. He needs a church that will say, I don't care how you got in the condition, it really doesn't matter to me how you got where you are. What I really care about is how you can get moved from where you are and receive the fullness of the kingdom of God into your life. That's what really matters to me. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't wait on you to get your act together before he poured his mercy out on you? I'm sure glad that he was merciful on me. And I'm sure glad that I don't get what I deserve. Blessed, happy, extremely happy are the merciful for they will receive. Mercy. Psalms 41 four, uh, one says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him, the person who considers the poor, out of his trouble. And the poor as well. And he says, Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. What is that? A person who is pure in heart sees clearly and soberly. They respond to man and God 
for all the right reasons. If you're pure in heart, you have sobriety of where you are, where you're at. You have sobriety of the righteousness and the glory of God. Your sober judgment, and this is who God is, and this is who I am. And here's the chasm between the two. If you're pure in heart, you don't mind looking at that. Not only don't you mind looking at it, but you want so badly in your heart of hearts and everything about you no longer to look like this, but to look like the Lord wants you to look. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. How will you see God? He will move on your behalf. You'll begin to see the power of God in every aspect of your life if you're pure in heart. If you have the right idea of who you are, if you'll have the right idea of who he is and receive everything from him that he wants to give you, he will show himself strong to you. The world says the countercultural way is to be sophisticated, to be broad-minded, To be tolerant. God says be pure in heart. Be sober-minded of your condition. Be sober-minded of kingdom. And the difference in the two. And pursue kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 says this. Pursue peace with all people. Say that with me. Pursue peace with all people. If I had a pen, I would circle all. Because it doesn't say there, whoever you like, whoever you agree with, whoever you don't think stupid, whoever you don't think deserves it. It says pursue peace with all people. And holiness. Been set apart to God. Becoming what God is. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that your heart, he says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, you're not going to see the Lord move. Without being separated out like this, it's just not going to happen. You've got to be pure in heart. You've got to be sober and clearly see life as it is in your life and in others. It says, look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Be careful to make sure that you're seeing things clearly, lest any root of bitterness would spring up and cause trouble, and by this, you become defiled. Your thinking would become defiled. Be careful. Remain pure at heart. And then he says, <laughs> happy are the peacemakers. And they will be called sons of God. We've been talking about that for weeks. So I'm not going to talk much about that, but our culture would tell us to be competitive and aggressive. Not, not that co competitive is not always bad, but competitive, dog eat dog, this no matter what it takes, no matter how much blood I've got to spill, competitive aggressiveness is not the Lord. You know, to, to do things with excellence and as unto the Lord, to... to compete in competition in, in, in different ways, pulling for your competitors to do as good as they can do and as well as yourself, caring about them in that manner, that's much different. But he tells us that to, to be peacemakers, and that represents him well. And then he says, 
Here are the last two, and they're difficult. Now, he, Jesus says this. He's got nine things that he's talking about here that should be characteristics of Christians, that should be the heart, that should be the behavior of who we are as a church, as who the nation is, as who you are as a person. He's got nine of them. Two of them in, include persecution. Two of them. Now here's what I want to present to you today. Do you think two out of nine being about persecution, that Jesus might have been kind of expecting you to be persecuted? And then he gave you how to respond to persecution. Well, first of all, we're going to start talking about persecution, and I want to set aside a couple of things. If you're persecuted because you impose your value system on somebody else and your behavior isn't like your value system, then you need to get persecuted. But if you're getting persecuted because your behavior without your mouth speaking that value system is, is just m making people uncomfortable because you're showing them the character and the nature of God, you should be expecting that. And here's the challenge for me in 2017. Am I getting enough persecution? Is my behavior and my character and, and how uh, I'm lining up and, and acting out my value system, is it making enough people uncomfortable that I'm being persecuted? Because God was expecting me to be persecuted for my value system being carried out. And all of it, think about it. That I'm humble. I'm meek. I'm poor in spirit. All those things aren't aggressive things. Those things are showing humility. Those things are, are, are not setting yourself up and saying, look, here I am. They're, they're things that are saying, look who God is. And you're getting persecuted because you're being kind and generous and loving and giving. And it's making people so uncomfortable around you because that's not who the world is or who they're promoting. And, and they think you're weird. They're supposed to think you're weird. They're supposed to think I'm weird. And so I'm challenged when I read these because I look at them and I say, of all these characteristics, Jesus is saying to me, you should be getting persecuted. Because this is what he says. Happy, extremely happy are those who are persecuted for right thinking and right doing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is the second time if you're being persecuted for right thinking and right doing, that's for righteousness sake, for right thinking and right doing, then the kingdom of heaven is going to be opened up on your life. Man, I want the kingdom of heaven to be opened up on my life. I want to be persecuted for right thinking and right doing because I want to see the kingdom of heaven poured out in 2017. But look at how he illustrates it. He, he, <laughs> let's go back and read it. Let's read it. 
Matthew chapter 5. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he says, persecuted for that righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you reviled and, and persecute you. They persecute and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. In Luke chapter 6, it says this, leap for joy. I mean, I saw it all day on TV yesterday. Yes! Right? I mean, he put it there. I didn't, I didn't write it. It's obviously an attitude that we should express. That even makes us uncomfortable. That made you uncomfortable when I did it. It's so countercultural to who we are. Right? Do you see that? It's not who we are. We've been lulled into looking like the world too much. And God is saying, if we're going to reach the world, we can't look like the world. Matter of fact, we need to be persecuted because we don't look like the world. And it shouldn't be because we're putting our value system on people who don't have the power to accomplish that value system. It needs to be because our behavior is so godlike, it makes them uncomfortable because they know that they've seen the Lord when they see us. Yes. Blessed, happy are you when they hate you because of Jesus. You never thought you'd be in church and say, man, I hope I'm hated more in 2017 <laughs> than I ever have been all my life. It's kind of a different way of thinking, isn't it? But can we be persecuted more next year because we look more like Jesus? That's the Beatitudes. That's Jesus' first sermon. That is the gospel. You know what he says next? It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. He says, you're like a city on a hill. You sell that light. Because you're showing the light of who I am, it can't be hidden. You're like the salt of the world. And your saltiness is your meekness. Your saltiness is your humility. Your saltiness is your purity of heart. Your saltiness is your thirst and hunger for righteousness. Don't lose your saltiness. If you lose your saltiness, you've lost your witness. I'm expecting big miracles in 2017. The biggest one is to transform Alex Barefoot and this church into something that looks more like God. I want people to see something that they want to become part of in 2017. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I 
only way we can do it is the miraculous power of grace. God's power working in our circumstances that does more than we can do on our own. Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.